I live my life a quarter mile at a time. You can't play Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, the lawful good character of this podcast, Sam Morris, and with me is the letty to my dom, but with better representation, Tessa Suela. Hello! Andy is still taking some time off. It's been a long month without you, my friend, and I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. But joining us in the third chair this week is friend of the podcast, our go-to person for all things Fast and Furious, Megan Spell. Hello. Can I be chaotic neutral? (laughs) (laughs) Do you care? Uh, I guess I don't care. I Uh, I just like, that's the energy I would like to bring. Okay. (laughs) In this episode, I finally find out what the big deal about Riddick is. Megan finds out what happens when you combine Vin Diesel with D&D. And Tessa gets her girl fight on. And in case you haven't picked up on it yet, we're excited because F9 is finally making its way to the theater in just a few short days. Let's go ahead and start with Sam. You watched the film, the sci-fi horror film, Pitch Black. Sam, what even is this movie? Well, as you know, Pitch Black is a spin-off of one of the Fast and Furious movies, it does star Los Bandoleros. Hmm, nothing. I, I mean, I would come <laughs> in here with a really cool rap, but... Don't do that. I don't think that would be appropriate. No. I, I don't think it'd be good. Like, no offense. <laughs> no, 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 it really wouldn't. It, it wouldn't. It I wouldn't. would try. I would try. I, it would be 10 out of 10 for enthusiasm, but the rest of it would be zeros. Okay. okay. All right. So so Pitch Black is is not a film that stars... Los Bandoleros, but I would watch that movie. Pitch Black is a allegedly sci-fi horror film from the year 2000, co-written and directed by one David Tui, and starring Vin Diesel, as well as Rada Mitchell, Cole Hauser, and Keith David. It's what happens when a Muslim preacher and his acolytes, a teenager, two prospectors, a merchant, a cop, and a super criminal walk into a bar. Just kidding. They walk onto a spaceship, get into cryo-freeze, and they crash on a planet. That's that's what Pitch Black is. <laughs> I've never seen Pitch Black. You haven't, Megan? No, I haven't. But, but, but I seen... love Keith David, and I think he's underused. <laughs> but you've seen uh, Chronicles of Riddick, right? I've seen Chronicles of Riddick, okay. yes. Okay, I wanted to, <laughs> to double check. To be fair, only once. Well, Pitch Black is a direct prequel to Chronicles of Riddick. It's not really even a prequel. It came out first, but... (laughs) Normally, they just call those movies. (laughs) So, uh, is it a horror movie or is it an action movie? Okay. So, Megan, I'm really sorry to spoil this, but so the Vin Diesel character Riddick does not die at the end of this movie. Okay. No one ever dies. Indeed. (laughs) It would be be weird if he did, and then they made a sequel. Or actually, if this is the prequel, then they just make the movie. (laughs) It's still a sequel. I think we know how Hollywood works. I think we're ready. Um, We've cracked it. We did. First of all, this movie cost $23 million to make. 
Megan, off the top of your head, do you remember how much the first The Fast and the Furious movie cost to make? Less than that, I would guess. Way less. <laughs> no? No. The budget for Pitch Black was $23 million. The budget for the first The Fast and the Furious was 38 That's insane. Because, like, I obviously love Fast Furious, but I don't think you see it on the screen in that one. I mean, I know it's expensive to shoot in L.A., but, like, literally the big heist in that is they're, like, knocking off a Best Buy truck. <laughs> yes. They're stealing DVD players. Like, considering what they do now, I would have been like, I don't know, what, 15? <laughs> right. So, like, how expensive is it to shoot in L.A.? Well, apparently you can construct an alien planet for less than it costs to shoot in L.A. I guess. Well, so now I need to ask you, can you? <laughs> well, it's not so much can you. It should yeah. you. Right. So... Well, so here's the deal. This is a planet that has, so they crash land on this planet. It's got three suns, which means it's in daylight all of the time. Almost all of the time. You know, years without a sunset. They happen to crash land just at the right time. And, and the suns go down right after they discover a geological survey team has been decimated by some sort of photosensitive underground creature. Hijinks ensue. It's a horror movie. It's a sci-fi movie. But this movie wants to be an action movie. One of the things that's genuinely weird about this movie is the way that it's cut, paced, uh, the way that the shots work in the movie. It doesn't know what it wants to be in terms of genre. It should be an action movie because it's a bunch of people running for their lives, you know, basically running and gunning. That's an action movie. It's got Vin Diesel who has Action Star painted on his forehead and the rest of his head. But that's not what the movie is. It's clearly a horror movie. It's like it's trying to be alien, which makes sense because I understand that Chronicles of Riddick is very aliens. An alien. Great movie. Who wouldn't want to be alien? <laughs> right. But there's a lot of genre confusion over this movie. I think it's an action movie that ends up being a horror movie, uh, which, which makes it weird, but also good. So does this movie work if it has this genre confusion? Okay, so the bit with Vin Diesel's character, Riddick, is he's had his eyes polished, I guess is the term we would use. So he sees real good in the dark, but not so good when it's not dark. Well, that's going to be a problem on a three-sun planet. <laughs> well, not when the sun goes down. True. Yeah. And everyone else's eyes are conditioned to the light. They're not prepared. <laughs> right. So Riddick is basically the predator because he sees with the, the heat-seeking vision. This movie is basically Alien versus Predator, which I have not seen and have no idea. But it's Aliens versus a Predator type of character in Vin Diesel. I think this movie is unintentionally very funny. But again, the way that the movie is constructed with the, the quick horror film type cuts juxtaposed with the wannabe action scenes it's so weird but it works because it's kind of original and they're doing it on such a small budget you know they have to rely on you know like keith david vin diesel rada mitchell fresh off of umpteen million episodes of neighbors to do some quality acting and they kind of do you want to talk about any other characters <laughs> Do I want to talk? Do I want to talk about any of the other characters? Who Riddick is, or why he's on the ship? Oh, have I? Have I no, not even talked about that? Eyes were <laughs> Does it matter? 
Kind of. Oh, okay. You want to talk about Vin Diesel. Well, Riddick is a, a murderer who has murdered people for some reason, and he's a bad guy for some reason. Motivation not necessary, I guess. He wakes up out of cryo sleep and is basically chaotic evil, but probably actually chaotic neutral. The point is, we don't know anything about him. We don't know his motivations. We know nothing, which is either really bad writing or really clever writing. But it allows him to play off of uh, Rada Mitchell's pilot character, Keith David's Muslim preacher on his way to New Mecca character, and uh, Cole Hauser's cop slash bounty hunter character really well. But because you don't know his motivations, you truly don't know how he's going to react to these characters, and it, it makes it interesting. Was this before or after the first Fast and Furious movie? I think this would have been before. That, that was 2001, right? The... I think so. And so this was 2000? Right. Yes. Yeah. So how does this character, because this is really, this and Chronicles of Riddick are really, and there's a third one that's not as good. This is really his other franchise, I would say. Uh, maybe Triple X would be the other one. But how would we compare this character of Riddick, who is really, like you said, he's really chaotic evil, uh, especially in the first one, because you really, he seems to be out for himself. He's kind of presented in some really serial killer ways. Like, I can't, I couldn't help but think of Con Air this time while I was watching it. Like, there were just some real similarities between his character and Steve Buscemi's character in that film. How would he compare to Dom, who is the character that he's probably most known for? Well, but that's the thing about the first movie, right? When, when Brian is trying to infiltrate, you know, there's that first scene where he goes to the, to the place and gets the soda. And, you know, that's the first time we really see Dom getting eyes on Brian. And he's immediately like, I'm going to kill that guy. And it's like, you just assume you know what his motivations are. You just assume that this is, this is machismo personified. This is a thief. This is somebody who's going to like, he's the bad guy of the film, right? But then by the end of the movie, we kind of understand that he isn't. I think the same thing more or less happens in this movie. Probably a little less, but close. Do you think that fans of Fast and Furious would enjoy this film? Fans of Fast and Furious? I don't know. Probably not. Fans of Vin Diesel? Yeah. And, and I, that's a Venn diagram that has a lot of overlap, probably. So are you going to watch Chronicles of Riddick then? Which I have to warn you, makes a very, very hard genre turn. <laughs> She asks, not knowing that I have proposed a uh, later in the year double feature, Aliens and Chronicles of Riddick. That's the plan. That's what we're going to do. We're going to watch the hard genre shift double feature. Somewhere James Cameron just spit up his drink. <laughs> hey, pal, all you got to do is release them Avatar movies and we'll stop talking about... <laughs> I, I mean, what do you want me to do? Watch The Abyss again? Like, I don't know. He's like, don't compare me to Chronicles of Riddick. <laughs> I'm a serious filmmaker. Yeah, I, don't know, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how James Cameron sounds. I just kind of assume he's a little growly. Hey, I hey, also, does Pitch Black I have a know. ride at Disney? No, it doesn't. 
Is Pitch Black the number one movie of all time ever? No. I had to re-reese Avatar <laughs> <laughs> to be Avengers. Be Avengers. Oh, boy. Uh, when are we going to get our James Cameron movie with Vin Diesel in it? I... <sighs> Cannot imagine that set would be a very chill place to be. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. Speaking of films that are not very chill places to be, Fast 9 comes out this month. <laughs> See what I did there? See my transition? I was actually going to say the, 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 the set of the, the James Cameron uh, Vin Diesel collab has like a no Dwayne Johnson allowed sign. And then you said speaking of F9. Another film that has a no Dwayne Johnson allowed sign. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the the film comes out on the 24th, Thursday the 24th, which is a good three days after the release of this one. So Of this episode? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's how time works, I think. <laughs> comes out in three days for all of you living in the future. You should get tickets now. Um, I, you know... I just think everyone should lock down their seats, uh, you know, stay safe, social distance. Uh, <laughs> but our our theater here has been selling out really quickly. The fight tooth and nail to get into a friggin' in the heights. <laughs> yeah, see, we live in a place where that is not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a lot of good amenities, but we do have a movie theater where, like, Black Widow tickets were released, and then, like, 30 minutes later, I was like, ooh, best seats. There we go. <laughs> so, Megan... We talked yeah. to you back in December about your hopes and dreams for Fast 9. Mm-hmm. Let, let's update them based on what we know now, based on the several trailers that have come out between right. then and now. What are you looking forward to the most in this movie? Uh, return of Han. Obviously, number one, Return of Han. Um, I mean, something that I'm very worried about is the John Cena of it all. I just, like, I know we're adding, like, another family dynamic, but sometimes it just seems like they just bring in these other guys, and I don't know if they're going to click with the group. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's going to be interesting. I'm fine with... I mean, it's it's like I just feel like now I I can see the movie in my head starting to form, but the only part that I don't under, that I don't know what they're gonna do with is Han because I'm like we still don't know how he's back. Like we there is no explanation, and it's gonna be bad. But I'm ready for it. <laughs> this this movie takes place in 2002. <laughs> yeah, if they they're all they gonna have flip phones. <laughs> If they kick, if <laughs> I don't think they can do that because Charlize is in this one, I think it has to be a proper timeline. But if they were to go back and reset the timeline again, that would be my favorite decision because <laughs> that's insane. I guess the question is do they go to space first or do they time travel first? I think you have to go to space first and then time travel. Um, gotcha. uh, and I game mean, rules. If- if this if this series ends up time traveling, like I know we're doing a goof, but I don't think it's off the table, and it would stress me out to a degree. <laughs> I don't think I don't want to think that much. I, <laughs> I much love how with Fast and, and Furious we're like nothing's off the table, like anything right. could happen, and that might be the real magic of this series. Like anything could happen. Right. Here's the thing: like this series has brought in The Rock. I can't Statham. remember his name. Statham. No, no, the other wrestler. Uh, we, you were just talking about him, Megan. John Cena. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I so, don't know wrestlers. I just know Fast and Furious people. 
<laughs> well, yeah. So here's the thing. This this franchise has, has brought in The Rock and John Cena. So when I say, which one is more likely? They go suborbital or the Edge shows up and they steal the money plane. <laughs> I I the- like the idea of like a more Ocean's Eleven heist type thing. Like if if like the, the next one is there's actually a wrestling event and or boxing, maybe they'd pivot to boxing. Boxing seems, you know, like it would have more money. I don't know anything about this. People don't judge me. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that would be interesting. But I, I think we talked about this the last time I was here, and I don't mean to rehash everything I've said, but what I'd really like is for them to go really big with this one or maybe the next one, and then for the last one to just, like, make it really small again and just really intimate, like, about, like, the core crew, you know? The, the last Fast and Furious movie is just – Dom Toretto teaching like all of the children how to drive. Like it's actually just like the stakes in the movie are about his son (laughs) getting his driver's license. Like that's the only essentially the plot of the past five. (laughs) I I really like the idea of the boxing thing though because it's like there's there's like a joke there about how they're gonna go you know they're they're gonna go to a, a match and somebody has to be like a like an expert in the squared circle or something. And John Cena's like, I got this. Don't worry. Wink, wink at the camera. And then they walk in and it's boxing. And Michelle Rodriguez is like, out of my way, losers. I have this. <laughs> yeah. I just think I, I, I like the idea of, I don't think that's incorrect. Like, I can't think exactly off the top of my head, but I'm certain there's been a scene in a Fast and Furious movie where someone is picked up from a boxing gym or recruited while, you know, sparring. Um, if not, I can't believe they haven't done it. And this idea is free. Uh, so, uh, anyone who's interested. <laughs> so we, we know that Han is coming back. We know that Jordana Brewster is coming back. Yes. How do we feel about her return to? I was surprised. I like, don't get me wrong. Um, we've discussed Fast and Furious has not always been great with female representation. And they're probably like, we can't just go cutting one of our only women but also i think it you just end up doing more cartwheels around why brian isn't here you know yeah that's true because like the whole reason that like the last couple of movies they've always made sure to bring him up like this idea mm-hmm. of like well you know who could handle this and they're like no we they're all like, swore no, like that fail. we wouldn't we bother him out of this. <laughs> yeah like <laughs> You but it's like, Brian okay, this is it. like pretty high stakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I was part of a crew and then had a family and they're like, we're going to space, I'd want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you could just at least give me a call, guys. Yeah. I, Jordana Brewster, <laughs> in an interview recently, said that she would be open to the idea of a all-female Fast and Furious spinoff with Michelle mm-hmm. Rodriguez and Eva Mendez and Helen Mirren and Charlize Theron. Mm-hmm. How? What do we think about that as a potential concept? I mean, <laughs> I just simply must reiterate: I'll watch any dumb Fast and Furious content they put out <laughs> here. I I can't I can't say I wouldn't enjoy that. I have no idea what that would look like. Um, they would have to do that thing where they're like, "Well, I guess this is the group that has to get together because you know, for whatever really niche reason, it has to be these exact people." I mean, the <laughs> fact that Helen Mirren is in these movies at all thrills me uh so i yeah she's 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 in this one but jason statham isn't like yes she was supposed to be kind of a bit character as his mom and now she's like 
to be Luke Evans and Statham's mom. And then Statham's like, well, me and The Rock have our own sub franchise now. So you can stay here. <laughs> yeah, she stays on Maine, though. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's I think that's correct for her. I don't think yeah. she needs to get messed up in this whole Hobbs versus Shaw thing. <laughs> <laughs> Hobbs versus Shaw versus the box office. Hobbs versus Shaw versus Selva. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited. I'm very excited about this. I was not oh, excited too. about this this time last year, but since we've been through this whole journey together, I am. It is now like my must-see summer movie. So I'm very excited about that. You hear that, Black Widow? <laughs> That's true. Black Widow like kind of lost some steam for me. I'm excited, but I'm just. It's hurt me too many times. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and move on to the next Vin Diesel movie on our, our list. Megan, you watched The Last Witch Hunter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this. The second I was given an option to watch a Vin Diesel movie, I knew I wanted to watch this one. I've needed an excuse for far too long. And I just, every once in a while, I've looked up the plot and been like, Holy Vin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, this is famously was written like Vin was an advisor. Uh, for the writer of this movie, and the main character is based heavily on Vin's real-life D&D character, which is the funniest thing anyone could do ever to me, um, as someone who loves D&D. <laughs> so uh, I spent the majority of this movie trying to figure out what type of character Vin Diesel plays. Uh, I think I've settled on it's some sort of vengeance paladin. Uh, based on powers and, you know, his uh, <laughs> opinions on things. Uh, but I should have known. Like, Paladin is, like, not to get too deep in the D&D woods over here, but, like, that's some real Vin, <laughs> Vin shit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so The Last Witch Hunter is a pretty much <laughs> incomprehensible movie <laughs> um, where Vin Diesel plays a very earnest witch hunter who is kind of just goes down this rabbit hole of finding clues and is trying to um he works for an organization and they're trying to destroy the witch queen it all comes down to oh well you have to go buy this ingredient to make this spell and then it's not a very good movie but i didn't not enjoy my time with it to be honest <laughs> so what i'm hearing is is that it's exactly like a D game like you have to do a bunch of fetch quests first yes exactly to kill the except, witch queen. except this is and this is what i found very interesting about the movie is it's like considering because i knew that going into this the character is based off vin's DD character and i've seen every fast and furious movie he loves family he like does not have a party like this is like kind of a solo quest like like he is one cool man and that's like you know he meets up with people but it's not really like there is like oh it's a group of five and we're all very well-rounded and each bring our own thing to the table like that's not the dynamic and i thought it would be because why would it not be <laughs> so it's almost like playing D&D on solo mode? Yeah, but that's not fun. But that's not really how you... Maybe it's like playing The Witcher? I I think I am not a huge video game person, but it feels like a video game movie to me. Um, I am by... I've never played The Witcher or anything like that. I've played Stardew Valley. (laughs) It feels like that to me because it's very much like, oh, and then you have to go here to buy this to make a memory spell. And then you have to visit another witch. And, you know, every time he has to talk to a witch, he's not happy. But, you know, this is for the greater good type thing. And I will say the cast is kind of funny. Like, this is a relatively recent movie. It's from 2015. 
And it has Elijah Wood, Michael Caine, Rose Leslie, you know, recognizable like great, people. Great people. Like, yeah. Great, great actors. And there is a really cool thing where uh, <laughs> two of the characters, uh, Elijah Wood and Michael Caine's, both are named Dolan. And one of them is Dolan 36 and one of them is Dolan 37. I watched, you know, this whole two hour something movie. I cannot remember which one is which. And they would just call them 36 and 37. And I'm like, I still don't know which one that is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, gosh. I'm like now trying to imagine Vin Diesel's D&D game. Like, does he play with like, does he play with Michelle Rodriguez and and that group or is Michelle Rodriguez too cool? Okay, like, so, so this is, uh, uh, it's ja an interesting. Rule plays with Vin Diesel. <laughs> this is an interesting thing. So um, another person who's really into D&D in Hollywood is Joe Manganiello. And he's been, like, in interviews and people have been like, oh, you know who else is really into D&D? Vin Diesel. And Joe Manganiello has, like, kind of been shady and been like, yeah, I hear that a lot, but I know, like, everyone who plays in L.A. and I don't know anyone who plays with Vin. And, like, what does that mean? Like, I, in my head, it's like Vin probably plays with, like, some of his, like, old, like, old friends, you know, from way back. But I don't know. It he is plays just- with James Franco. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, hold on. He plays with James Franco's character from Freaks and Geeks. There we go. Yeah, that's that's go. okay. You can yeah. have that okay. one. Okay. That's good. Uh, he Carlos plays with someone. The dwarf. <laughs> I was going to say, he plays with someone who's playing James Franco. I would yeah. create him as a bard. Um, <laughs> but I mean, and then the funny thing, I mean, which is like kind of a classic Vin Diesel thing, is like his character in. I assume in D&D and in the movie is like so overpowered. At one point he has like immortality and I'm like, as a DM, I would absolutely never give any of my people any sort of immortality. Are you kidding? You have to fear death. (laughs) You have to have stakes. Like if you're too OP, there's no stakes. Yeah. And then it very much feels like they're setting it up for a sequel. So I doubt that will happen. It's now been six years, (laughs) but, uh, I can see where they would have wanted that. <laughs> so besides it being incomprehensible, how did it fare on your Vin Diesel ranking? <laughs> I appreciate he's he's always earnest. Like he goes in and he's like, like, you know, sometimes you're laughing at him and not with him. And that's part of being Vin Diesel, I think. Uh, but he... He's not pretending like he's fully in character and the character is insane, you know, so uh, (laughs) I didn't have a bad time. It definitely is something I watched it stone cold sober. And at the end, it was just like, okay, that just washed over me like a bath. I have I took in almost none of that. Uh, (laughs) So uh, but it was an enjoyable experience and I did make someone watch it with me and I don't think they hate me. So I think it went okay. Yeah, yeah, that's usually good. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's the kind of recommendation we want here on Monkey Off My Backlog. I made somebody watch it with me and I don't think they hate me. Yeah, Uh, I will say we talked about budget. The rumored budget for this is between 70 and 90 million dollars. Um, it did, uh, make, I think 150 globally because movies like this, you know, uh, I guess do well, but when it came out, like I did not know anyone who was seeing this. <laughs> I vaguely remember previews of this and like, it's from the movie you've described to me. It sounds like it was exactly what I thought it was when I saw yes. the previews. Yes. Yeah. How does will... this character stack up against... Dom Toretto. I mean, obviously, Dom Toretto, I would I would die for. So it's kind of hard. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I 
<laughs> this is gonna make me sound bad. I have like I don't play paladins. Like that is just not the type of character I would ever play. So I understand why he would, but I'm just like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how does he stack up against Riddick? Because you have seen Chronicles of Riddick. I think this like I think Riddick's oh gosh, this is gonna sound crazy. Like a slightly more interesting character. <laughs> like this this is not a very dynamic character who does not change over the course of this movie and is just kind of getting bumped along task by task and you know, uh, not really challenging any of his preconceived notions, uh, which might have made it a little more interesting to me. <laughs> All right. So since we're doing budget this episode, we're talking about how much movies cost to make. We've talked about $200 million movies, $38 million movies, $23 million movies, somewhere in the middle. But we're going to take this next movie all the way to the Dr. Evil sum of $1 million. What is Girl Fight, Tessa? Girl Fight is a 2000, so we're going back to the year 2000 again. Girl Fight is a sports drama film that was directed by Karen Kusama. And I'm going to tell you what else Karen Kusama did in a moment, but I do want to say to our listeners, if you're looking this up on Google right now, Girl Fight is all one word, Girl Fight. There are several movies with that name. You're looking for the one that's all one word from 2000. It took me a while to find this movie because of that. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, But like I said, it was directed by Karen Kusama, who later directed, and get this, Aeon Flux and Jennifer's Body. Same director. Did not know while I was watching this film. But it stars Michelle Rodriguez, which is why I am talking about it today. This was her first speaking role. This was her first role. She was 22 when this was filmed. She is playing an 18-year-old, a senior in high school. But the basic premise of the film is that her character, uh, Diana Guzman, is a Latina high school student, uh, senior, who gets into a lot of fights. She's very physical. She's from a very uh, low income. And it's kind of implied at the beginning of the movie that her dad is is abusive uh, family. But she keeps getting into trouble at school for starting these fights. And then one day she goes to her brother's boxing gym and realizes that she wants to learn how to box. So she convinces the old grumpy owner of the gym to teach her how to box. That is the premise of this movie. If you have seen a boxing movie before, you know what this movie is. Kusama really wanted to do a boxing movie that sort of inverted the male like boxing trope and do it with a lady. And so that that is literally the impetus for this particular film. So she made a movie about a girl fight. Yeah. Yeah. It's a million dollar movie that makes it an indie movie. Tell us about the vibe of this movie. You know, I was telling Sam about this while we were watching it. There's something about indie movies from the like early 2000s that just have like a specific vibe. Like you can always tell like this is an indie movie from that time period. It's kind of, it's obviously lower budget, although it is very beautifully made. But like the like even like the way that it's cut, the way the lights are, it's just got this very like rooted in realism sort of vibe to it. Nothing is pretty. Like everything is very stripped down. I and I think especially because we're used to seeing a lot of YA content that's very curated now, like on Netflix and 
in movies, it's really interesting to go back to this version of high school and this version of like what the world was like as a teenager because the high school's super ugly, like nobody cares about like each other, right? Like it's it's very cliquish in some ways. Michelle Rodriguez's character is very she doesn't really fit into a lot of gender stereotypes. Like she's very um I'm trying to figure out ways not to say the word butch, but she's she's very like muscular and she's tall and she wears her hair in hair in braids, but she wears very like masculine clothing. And, you know, there's definitely a very like a lot of tension between her and the other girls at the school who are a lot more feminine. And in two thousands, of- people would have been like, Oh, she's a tomboy. Oh oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there's, so there's a lot of that in there, but there's also a lot of those gendered expectations from her family. Like her father pays for her brother to get boxing lessons. Her brother doesn't care about boxing. Her brother just wants to learn how to draw, but she cares about it and she wants to learn how to do it. And so there's a lot of that kind of interrogating why certain sports are so gendered. Why do they have to be that way? It's just very, very interesting. But that is sort of the general vibe of this movie is if you're thinking about like the way indie films were made in the 2000s this fits right into that that decade. Yeah, it's definitely indie movie bingo from the early 2000s. You have multiple scenes of uh conversations occurring at the dinner table. You have the emotional scene out on the curb or the bench with the diegetic outside traffic noise. You have the soundtrack has to have some sort of diegetically adjacent like percussive thing that repeats throughout the soundtrack does she go to a house party in my head there's a house yes because there is the the sex i've never seen it (laughs) the sex scene has to occur in a sparsely decorated bedroom with a bed where the fitted sheet is not over all four corners of the bed i mean there are certain rules of these movies and and this this is like a you could just do the checklist, but we're not talking about indie movies. We're talking about boxing movies. How does this stack up to other boxing movies? Rocky. Well, I, it's funny that you mentioned Rocky because Kuzman obviously really loves Rocky. Like that is that is definitely in the DNA of this film. Even though it is about a teenage girl, and even though Michelle Rodriguez takes this character and really just runs with it. Like she is perfect in this role. She is so like she manages to be this tough girl while showing so much vulnerability and emotion like over everything that happens in this film and I just I don't know many actresses who can pull off both. Like the fact that she can be just like stone cold all the time, but when something happens, you can see it in her eyes. Like it does still affect her and she does still have to like, you know, fight through it and I think that's great. But there's a lot of similarities between this idea of like she's lower class and like people have all of these expectations out of her that she doesn't really meet. Rocky is lower class and there's all these expectations over him that, you know, he doesn't meet. Rocky is into a girl named Adrian. She's into a boy named Adrian. Like there's okay. like all of these like <laughs> little a little on the nose. <laughs> little on the nose. But but it's but it, I think that's on purpose. I think oh, the 100%. idea is is to say like no, like we could write these stories about girls too. We can write these stories about women and it actually doesn't really change the way that the story hits, which I think works well. Have you seen Million Dollar Baby, which comes out after this? I haven't. Okay. But 
I have heard that a lot of films like that are due to the success of this film. I, I, it sounds very million dollar baby ish. <laughs> yeah. And apparently a lot of women were inspired to go into boxing um, because of this particular film as well. But it hits all of those boxing film beats, right? Like her first fight, she, you know, doesn't Training do montage. as well. <laughs> right. And there's, there's a montage, which I have to ask because Sam is the expert on montages but specifically Rocky montages. Is it actually a... First question, is it actually a boxing film if there isn't a montage? And second question, where would you rate this montage in terms of Rocky montages? Well, first of all, it's not a boxing movie. It's not even a sports movie if it doesn't have a training montage. That's it. You you have to have the getting better montage. It just has to happen or it's not a real boxing movie or sports movie. Now, comparing it to the to the Rocky montages. Okay, so let's let's see. You have Rocky One, which is the classic fighting harder, getting stronger, the steps in Philadelphia. Uh that is the montage to end all montages, right? It's the top uh, of the it, genre. <laughs> right. And 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 in Rocky 3, you have the um, you know, training on the beach with Apollo Creed cuz the best friends now montage. And then in Rocky 4, you have the I'm in Russia and it's Siberia and it's cold and I'm doing like Russian peasant training. <laughs> this is none of those things. So like you know, meh. I like Creed too. Uh, it's desert um, training montage. Ah. Uh, Creed is a better movie to me, but Creed two great training montage. He's like flipping tires. It's classic. <laughs> I I also yeah I I really so most of the again this is a lower budget but so most of the the training montages and such happen in this like one set like in the boxing gym but I really enjoyed that boxing gym like it's a it's a gym that I believe exists in some city they don't specify what city they're in but I, I but I believe that gym exists somewhere like I I have seen this gym where like every it's sort of like the local hangout for a lot of men right like they don't box but they hang out there. Um, and so there, it's just a really interesting, very lived-in film in a lot of ways. All right. Given that this movie is extremely hard to locate online for some reason, should people make the effort? Yes, absolutely. If you like Michelle Rodriguez or you like Rocky or you like Creed or any other boxing movie, you should check out this film. It is quite excellent. I enjoyed every moment of it. Go watch it. I haven't seen it, but I like Karen Kusama as a director. I, I like Jennifer's body, obviously. Uh, and uh, I don't know if uh, – have you guys seen Destroyer? It came out a few years ago. Nicole Kidman, and really aggressive, uh, tired-looking age makeup. But it was a decent <laughs> movie. <laughs> I mean, I really loved this movie. I loved how well it was directed. Because I've been asking about Vin Diesel, I can't go by without saying that Michelle Rodriguez girl fight exists so Letty Ortiz can exist. If you think about her arc and the way that she comes back in the sixth movie, there is a scene that could be straight out of girl fight in the sixth movie. The scene where she fights with Gina Carano on the uh, on the train stairs, on the metro stairs, and like there's the there's the the scene where she like 
because Gina Carano's character tries to handcuff her and she like flips the hand because this is Fast and Furious, right? Everything's got to be cool. She like yeah, flips the handcuffs and like uses them as like brass knuckles, like handcuff knuckles. Is that, that what it's called? That sounds dope. Yeah. Like this, this movie. I want to like, watch it. Like the, the scene where she just like, she, she like is ready to go. That scene from Fast and Furious exists because of Girl Fight. I'm just, I'm going to make that direct connection. Like, Girl Fight could be an alternate version of Letty where, like, Dom was, like, away for a while or something. Like, I could see it. My headcanon exists. All right. So, I, I guess we decided we didn't have much of an arc to this episode. Pitch Black is good. Last Witch Hunter is is not. And Girl Fight was really good. Will F9 be one of those things? Probably. <laughs> Find out for yourself in three days. Meanwhile, next week. We'll be talking about The Simpsons from a certain point of view and one of the great Robin Williams films. In the meantime, Megan, where can people find you online? You can find me everywhere online at SpellMegan, S-P-E-L-L-M-E-G-A-N-O-H, on Twitter, Letterboxd, everywhere. I'm around. Very easy to find online. (laughs) Tessa. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Monkey Backlog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes. It can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.